28th Pasuk. I'll get back to the names uh, later. I'm not going to start with that. Uh, so meanwhile, the family has traveled to Egypt. Uh, Joseph, actually, Paro uh, had authorized the wagons that were sent. And the brothers come back from Egypt. They tell him Yosef is still alive and he's the ruler of Egypt. Od Yosef Chai. At first, Yaakov doesn't believe them, but then he sees the wagons. And Yaakov's spirits are revived. And the family is sets out to go to Egypt. The whole family, 70 souls, approximately. And uh, we discussed that last, last week. And now we continue the story of the family is now arriving in Egypt. And the question is, what's going to happen when they get there? Where are they going to live? Where are they going to stay? So we begin our uh, continuation of the story. And it says, Et Yehuda shalach lefanav Yosef, l'harot lefanav doshna. Vayavo doshen. So the first pasuk that we encounter says that Yaakov, he's the actor over here, Yaakov sends Yehuda before him to prepare, to point the way uh, to Goshen. Vayavo, that's the plural, and they came to Goshen. So what Yaakov is doing, he chose his Yehuda to go first, sort of to, to lead the way, and then the others will follow. So immediately what we see from this verse, not that surprising, is that Yaakov already has singled out Yehuda as a leader of the family. Not surprising because it was Yehuda who took the responsibility to bring Binyamin back. It was Yehuda who offered himself instead of Binyamin. Again, we don't know how much Yaakov knows. One of the big questions in the story is exactly how much Yaakov knows, when he knows, what he knows, etc. We, the reader, know. But clearly, Yaakov has a lot of faith in Yehuda, if only for the fact that it was Yehuda who stepped forward, who said to his father, I take responsibility. We discussed that at some length. And here you see that Yehuda already is being singled out by Yaakov as, if not the leader, a leader. And they go to the land of Goshen. They, plural, they came to the land of Goshen. Now, we remember, of course, that Yosef had said, when he revealed his identity to the brothers, you will be near me. Joseph says to his brothers, come down to Egypt, tell my, tell my father to come to Egypt and bring, his whole, bring everything with him, and you will stay in the land of Goshen. Now, the land of Goshen, of course, is playing on the very word Vayigash, Vayigash Elav Yehuda, of drawing near, of drawing close. That's what Joseph had said to the brothers. Now, we will get, we will remind ourselves shortly what Paro said to the brothers. This is not exactly what Joseph said. And we'll get there, because this will be an important point that we have to discuss. What Joseph wants and what Paro wants, and are they the same? In any event, the family has now come to Goshen. And now we continue with the next, the Pasuk, which is very interesting. By Yesar Yosef Merkavto, Joseph hitched, hitched his wagon to the chest, he ordered his chariot. Chariot, not wagons, it's chariot. Yisrael Aviv Goshna. And Joseph went up to greet his father in Goshen. He appeared before him, he presented himself. And he embraced him around his neck. 
and he cried. He wept on his neck. Oh, he continued to eat more. He continued. So the first question is, the second half of this verse, he appeared before him. He fell on his neck and he cried on his neck a good while, a great amount of time, literally more old. Who is that referring to? Is it referring to Joseph crying on Jacob's neck, his father's neck? Or is it referring to Jacob crying on Joseph's neck? And when you look at the puzzle, I would say, when you read the puzzle, seems to me that the one who's doing the falling on the other one's neck and crying a lot is Joseph. I say that because the first half of the verse is Joseph. Joseph uh, hitches his chariot. Joseph comes in his chariot. Vayesor is that verb is Joseph. Vayal is Joseph. So presumably, Vayera and Vayipol and Vayev is also Joseph. And especially given the fact that we know that Joseph does a lot of crying. In fact, he cries eight different times, four in conjunction with his brothers, but he cries other times as well. So from the reading the puzzle, I think that one could, one would suggest that the simple reading is, since it's a singular he, and since the first half of the verse refers to Joseph, uh, Joseph is the one who is crying and falling on the neck of his father. The Ramban is bothered by this, actually. Not because of the verse. The verse can be read either way, and I think, actually, it sounds like it's Yosef. But the Ramban asks a very simple question, which is, who is more likely to cry and who, who is more likely to be thrilled to see the other? Is it Yosef or is it Yaakov? So the Ramban thinks it's Yaakov. He's his old father. He's his beloved son. He thought he would never see him. Okay, Joseph, Joseph does care about his father. Joseph has asked more than once, is your old father still alive? Ha'od avichem chai, ha'od denu chai. So, yes. But on the other hand, Yaakov says, I will mourn till I die. And we know that he spirits were revived when he hears that Joseph is actually alive. So the Ramban is bothered by this question because he thinks that Logically, from a human standpoint, it's more likely it's Yaakov. But from the passage, it sounds like it's Yosef. One could argue that it's purposely ambiguous, that it could be both of them. The, the verse could apply to either. But I wanted to mention something the Ramban cites, which I think is very interesting. Um, and that is, and then I'll make a second point, but the Ramban quotes a Medrash. The Ramban quotes the Medrash that when Yosef came to see his father, so the Medrash is, is troubled, actually. The Medrash presumes that Yosef is doing the falling and the seeing and the crying. What's Yaakov doing? His beloved son is appearing before him. And, Yaakov, and the actor here is Yosef. So the Ramban quotes a Medrash that when, that when um, Yosef came to see Yaakov, Yaakov was, was, Yaakov was davening. In fact, he was reciting the Shema. So he didn't want to interrupt. He was, he was praying. He was saying Shema. And that's when Yosef came. So Yaakov couldn't respond right away. And therefore it's Joseph that falls on the neck of Jacob. Now I find this a particularly interesting medrash that the Ramban cites for the following reason. Maybe we can hold, wait to discuss it. Because the recitation of the Shema 
figures in a different medrash, a very famous medrash. Some of you are probably familiar with this medrash. You know, we recite the Shema twice a day. V'shach v'cha v'kumecha. It's actually the first Mishnah. Me'yematai Korin Shema. The very, very first Mishnah. When do you say the Shema? When do you recite the Shema? In the evening and the day. Fine. So the Shema basically consists of three paragraphs from the Torah. It's called Kriyat Shema, the reading of the Shema. From a certain standpoint, it's not really a prayer. This, the Amida, the Shemona Esra, is prayer. The Shema is a recitation. One could see it not, not just as a recitation, a statement of faith, uh, a, 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 a study of Torah, a minimal study of Torah, morning and evening. All of these are true. But it's, it's called Kriyat Shema. So we simply read the parashiot, three parashiot from the Torah. Two from Devarim and one from Bamidbar. But what's curious in the Shema is that after we say the first uh, line of the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, and the next verse in the Torah is V'yahavtu et Hashem Elohecha, V'chol Ravcha, V'chol Nafshecha, V'chol Miyodecha, Love God with all your soul, etc. But we don't, but we interrupt. We don't read it right away. We, we, we say something in between, which is Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto V'yolam Va'ed. That's recited. The one who says the Shema says that statement, makes that statement, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto V'yolam Va'ed, and then continues V'yahavta. When you open up the Torah, though, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto is not in the Torah. It interrupts the recitation of the Shema. And the Talmud is bothered by this, is wondering about it. What is this about? Now, this is a very interesting question and there's some very interesting issues that revolve around Baruch Shem Kvod Machoto Yoram Va'ed. But what's curious is that the practice is, except on one day in the year, which is Yom Kippur, to recite Baruch Shem Kvod Machoto Yoram Va'ed in a kind of undertone. Not, not silently, but an undertone, Ulachash. The Gemara talks about this. Gemara says, why do we either say it or don't say it? Well, what's this about? You say it, but you say it more silently, more quietly. What is that about? So the Gemara in Tzachim says the tells the following story. When Yaakov was dying, he assembled his, his, his sons. He blesses them before he dies. But he was wondering about his children. He was wondering about their fidelity to to, 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 his, to his teachings, to his tradition, to their Judaism. And it, he, he questioned it. And his children said, listen, Shema Yisrael, Jacob is Israel. Listen, Israel, listen, our father Israel. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Our God, Hashem, is singular, is unique. It's our God and God is unique. And Yaakov was so happy to hear it. He responded to them and he said, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto V'yoram Va'ed. That's Jacob's response. So the Gemara says, on one hand, Jacob said it, we should say it. On the other hand, Moses didn't say it, it's not in the Torah. So we say it in an undertone. Now it's a very interesting statement and there's a lot to be unpacked there, but I'm making a different point that you see there are two, there are two Midrashic statements now that revolve around Shema Yisrael and, and Yaakov. 
Uh, in the first case, in our case, the Ramban quotes a Medrash, Jacob is saying Shema Yisrael. And that's why he can't, he doesn't respond to, to Yosef when Yosef is there. In the next verse, he responds, but he doesn't, he's saying the Shema, don't, don't interrupt. And the second instance is they, his children collectively say the Shema when Jacob is questioning their fidelity. And then Jacob responds, blessed is the kingdom of heaven forever. So what is that actually about? And I think if you look at the two Midrashim, I'm not basing this on the Midrash, but I think it's an interesting point because I think later on this is actually an issue. And the, my point is, Yaakov appears before Yosef. The Torah could have said, and, ya and Yosef went to see Yaakov and he saw him and he cried and he, and he, and he fell on his neck and he hugged him, he cried, etc. But the Chumash says more than that. The Chumash says in verse number 29, he ordered or hitched up his, his chariot. Now the Mer Merkava, we know that Pharaoh instructed that Joseph be giving a chariot. But we know that the chariots are the symbol of, symbol, symbol of Mitzrayim. Pharaoh hitched his chariots to chase the Jews at the, at the, at the, at the Yamsuf. Uh, horse and chariot, horse, right? So the Merkava is the symbol of Mitzrayim. So Jacob is there, he's come down to Mitzrayim to see his son, and, all, and he pulls up with his chariot. So that's a very important point over here. And maybe the idea saying Shema at the time, it's a good question. Maybe he's, he's, he's reaffirming his own faith in the light of what he sees. I'm not sure what the Medrash is getting at. But the, but the Chumash is certainly getting at something. And the Chumash is raising, here he's coming to meet his beloved son. And he's driving up in a, you know, in the chariot. I mean, you can see this chariot he has, the license plate is Egypt one or something like this. I mean, Tafnas Paneach has come. So this is, this is the question actually. So we'll, we'll see this because this actually will come up later. This is a, a central question. And I mentioned this last week that in fact, Yaakov is going to Egypt not to, really to see Yosef. The end of the day, he's going to Egypt to figure out how to include Yosef. That's the question. Yosef is, to some extent, an Egyptian, and the fact of the matter is that his brothers still suspect him. So Yaakov's got to figure out a way to build this inclusive structure. In any, any event, I thought these metrics about the Shema was very interesting. Fine. So now that's that's the now we get to the next puzzle. Jacob said, "Here's called Israel. I can die now, having seen having seen that you are still alive." Now here's something interesting about Yaakov and Yosef. We know these two are deeply connected. They. They care for each other very deeply. Uh, Yaakov certainly favored Yosef, mourned, mourned Yosef. And now I've seen that you are alive. And here's interesting, there's a word that is found in the Chumash, both in conjunction with Yaakov and conjunction with Yosef. I'll simply mention it now. And again, we'll come back to this. It's a little word. The little word is od. Interesting that that same term, old, 
applies both to Jacob and to Joseph. So down the road, I want, before we complete these sessions, whatever that will be, and we finish Breshit, I want to discuss uh, this, uh, this, this idea of ode. The word ode is a word that appears specifically in conjunction with Yaakov and Yosef. And we'll talk about that. Fine. So this is the, they, they have met now. What the Chumash does, of course, by talking about the chariot, the Chumash is already hinting at what, what's to be in the future. Because Joseph is, to some extent, he, he's the viceroy of Egypt, that's to some extent. And now the question is, what's going to be with the family? They've come down to Mitzrayim, there's a famine. Joseph had said to his brothers, you recall, there are five more years of famine. And now Joseph's going to arrange, Joseph's going to arrange that the family will find a place in Mitzrayim. Now, this is, this is our topic for, for this morning. So Joseph says to his brothers and to the father's house, the 70 souls. Says Joseph, listen, let me speak to Paro here. Because the question is where you're going to live. Let me go, let me talk to Paro. Let me sort of, let me prepare Paro. Right. Let me set this whole thing up, and um, I'll tell them that my brethren, my brethren, my father's house have come, have come to me from the land of Canaan. Fine. That's what he tells the brothers. So let's continue. Next, next passage. Scroll down. Now the Torah reminds us that these are the family of Yaakov are shepherds. Anshe Mikne. So some of the Mufarshim distinguish between Roet Zone and Anshe Mikne. Roet Zone are shepherds. Anshe Mikne uh, is probably not just shepherds, but they are actually, they, they deal in, in other words, it's a business basically. They're breeders, they're possessors. Mikne is a business. This is their business. They also are shepherds. They also, in addition to that, are shepherds. And they have brought with them all of their, their flocks and their herds. They brought, and now Yosef continues to speak. Yosef says, this is what's going to happen. So Joseph says, listen, here's what's going to happen. So I'm going to set the whole thing up. Power is going to call to you and say, summon you and say, here the translation is, is correct. What is your occupation? What do you do for a living? What do you do? He's going to ask you that question. It's all set up. You see, Joseph sets the whole thing up. So when that, tell, tell the following. Your servants, referring to themselves, we are owners of livestock, breeders of livestock, owners of livestock, we and our, and our, and our ancestors, the family, family business. That's what you say. In order that you, Paro allows you to live in the land of Goshen, for shepherds are abhorrent to Egypt. So the land of Goshen, says Joseph, that's a place that sort of will be seen as sort of my territory. And the rest of Mitzrayim doesn't, for whatever reason, they don't like shepherds. For whatever reason, they look down upon this profession of shepherds. We remember earlier that when Joseph and the brothers are eating together with the Egyptians, they all eat separately. 
the, the brothers are eating, they, they won't eat with the brothers. So they have a different eating, different foods. Do they eat meat? I don't know. But the but point of fact, shepherds are looked down upon. So Joseph, this whole thing set up, says Yosef. So I, I set the whole thing up for you. Just follow the script. Follow the script. So that, that's, that's the way it works. It's all set up. You come in, he's going to answer this question. You'll answer the question. And then you'll be able to uh, stay in the land of Goshen. Just to back up for one second, I want to point out just a couple of, just back up a couple of verses there. That, want to back that up, please? Uh, Sorry? Just back up. Yeah, keep, go back. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, back a little more. That, that, that's it. Vanoshim row eight zone, verse number, uh, what was it? 30, can't even see it. 32. 32. Yeah. 32. row eight zone. Is that what Joseph will say to Paro? It's unclear. Or is that the, 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 the Torah, the narrator is saying to us, by the way, remember reader, these were all shepherds and they brought with them their, their livestock. Or is this part of what Joseph is saying? Listen, I'm gonna to go to Paro. I'm gonna tell him my brethren, my brothers are here. My family came down. They are on Shane McNair. So that's the question. Is that already what Joseph's gonna say? He's telling them, this is what I'm gonna say. Or no, the Chumash is informing us. Just a point of, point of information. In any event, it's all set up. Joseph's going to set it up. Joseph has Paro's ear. So now let's, let's, now let's continue. Now scroll down again. And I'll stop in a couple of minutes and take comments or questions. Fine. Now let's continue. That's it. By your vote, you're safe. By your getting with Paro. So now Joseph follows through. Joseph comes. He's tell, he speaks to Paro. By Yomer, he says, so the first thing Joseph says to Paul was, listen, the families come down, not just with the livestock, but with all of their possessions. And they are, in fact, in the land of Goshen, in the region of Goshen. So in other words, Joseph has the coming to Goshen right away, because this way, presumably, it's, it's a lot easier to say to, to, say to, to Paul to say, okay, if they're there ready, let them stay there. If they were in some other place, and the question is where to go, so probably might say, okay, go here, go there. But Joseph's presenting it as a kind of fait accompli. They're really in Goshen. So they're in Goshen, and that's, that's all he says, you know? They're, they come down and they're in Goshen. So now it will be in, in order to get them out of Goshen, power would have to command them to leave Goshen. So Joseph's banking on the idea. Okay, they're there ready, let them stay. I think one more verse, Umikteyachav, and now from his brothers, and Joseph selects five, five brothers. The Chumash doesn't say which five he selected. There's a discussion which five he selected, the commentaries, but Midrashim, the Medrash has different opinions of which five he selected, the weakest or the strongest, or whatever. What's interesting from our perspective, though, is he, he chooses five. We've already seen on multiple occasions that the number five is a number that the Chumash cites when it talks about Mitzrayim. Joseph had said the five more years of famine, five brothers, uh, you will strengthen Egypt, says Yosef, when Israel leaves Egypt, Chamushim, they leave Chamushim. So for whatever reason, I have a thought about it, but not for now, but for whatever reason, number five is a number that the Torah uses, employs, 
when it's talking about Mitzrayim. So the whole thing is set up. They're already in Goshen. He's already prepared Paro by telling them they, they're, they're shepherds. And he tells the brothers what Paro's going to ask. He's going to ask you, what would you do for a living? You should know that. It's all set up. Okay. Before we continue and see what happens, uh, it's all set up. So that's what Joseph thinks. But before we continue with this, let me just stop for a moment. And are there any comments or questions to this point? You can write them in the chat or put your hand up on the Zoom or also just feel free to unmute yourself and speak. Uh, David, yeah. um, I was thinking, um, you can tell me if I'm wrong, obviously. In Pasuk Lamed, it says, Yisrael el Yosef, Is it possible that the Midrash picks up and says that what he said was Shema because- could be. Yes, could be. I heard you. I got it. Could be. You have the Shema also in the other case. Right. Before he dies. Right. The idea of saying Shema, which is found in Brachot, Shema is a recitation that before one dies. It's a kind of confession of, of, or a statement of faith before one dies. It's an interesting point, actually. And maybe they're picking up on Amuta Apam. It's a very good point. Thank you for that. Good point, yeah. Okay, thank yeah. you. You had that in mind yesterday. I was thinking about it yesterday. I forgot you reminded me, but that's an excellent point. Yeah, anybody else? Everybody heard what Debbie said, right? I'll repeat it. She says that perhaps the Medrash, which talks about Yaakov saying the Shema, is picking up what Yaakov says to Joseph, now, now I can die, Amuta Apam. And they're picking up on this idea that before one expires, there's a, a practice to say the Shema, to reaffirm one's faith. The Shema is, you know, the Shema is a statement of faith. And, uh, and as such, it would be very appropriate that it fits in well with Yaakov saying, now, now I can die. And the other, the other, the Morim Sachim, I quote, is the same thing. He's about to die. So they're they're actually they're saying Shema Yisrael, and he's and he and he is affirming it. Baruch Shem Kvod Machuto Anybody else with a comment? Thank you for that. Anybody else? If not, we'll just continue. No problem. Okay. You can always uh, speak up. Anyway, let's let's continue. So now, fine. So it's all set up. Joseph set it up with Paro. The brothers are there. They're in Goshen already. It's all it's all beautiful. No problems. Well, we'll see about that. So now, let's see. So now the next verse is, What do you know? So Paro said to the brothers, what is your occupation? Exactly as Joseph had set it up. Exactly, Joseph set it up. It's all following the script. And they say what Joseph said to say. We are shepherds. And not just we are shepherds, but also our ancestors are shepherds. This is the family business. This is what we do. Okay. At this point, according to the script, Paro is supposed to say, oh, you're all shepherds. And also your, your, your parents were shepherds, grandparents. You know something? Why do you stay in the land of Goshen? But lo and behold, the next verse begins this way. Vayomru el Paro. banu. Goshen. 
we have come, they said, Tetaparo, to live in the land, because we have no pasture in the land in, for our flocks back in the land of Canaan. So please let your servants stay in the region of Goshen. Now, here we have a very interesting point about this puzzle, which is a lot of discussion about this in general, and I'll mention it. We've come across this before. The previous verse, verse number three, begins with Vayom Ruel Paro, they said to Paro. And since they are, and since Paro says nothing, you would expect verse number four to simply continue. What do you mean Ruel Paro? Paro, but but there's but no one else is talking. It's one speech. So why does verse why does verse four begin with Vayomruel Paro? If verse three began with Vayomruel Paro, but Paro didn't say anything. So there's a lot of discussion about this, and Chamorebus talks about it, and talks about it, and often what what it is often is that the second verse begins with Vayomru in situations where the other guy was supposed to say something, but didn't. The, 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 the brothers are waiting for Paro to say, you know, okay, stay in Goshen. But lo and behold, he says absolutely nothing. Oh, you're, oh, you're shepherds, that's very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And he just says nothing more. So now they're forced to make the request. That wasn't the plan. The plan was you tell them what you do, you're in Goshen, and Paro will say to you, because Joseph set it all up, you know, I have a good idea, why don't you stay in Goshen? But no, Paro makes them ask. So I'm gonna come back to that, but let me give you, I'll, I'll give you two examples of where you have exactly this kind of thing, where you have two consecutive verses, where it's the same speaker. And then you have, again, Vayomer or Vayomru. One of them is in the book of Breshi, we came across it, you remember the story where Hagar is uh, running away from uh, running away from from Sarah, who's who's who's, who's abusing her. Vatanel Sarai Vativrachmi Ponela back in chapter sixteen, and she runs off into the desert, and an angel of God appears to Hagar in the desert, um, and the angel of God says to Hagar. It's later on in the chapter, the angel of God says to Hagar. Um, uh, let's see. No, you went too far. It's a little earlier. 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 Yeah, was that what's up? So, uh, right, the next part, that's it. This verse. Verse number, I can't read it. Is it nine, I think? It looks like. Yeah, it's verse number eight and nine. Well, verse number eight, no, verse number eight is not the problem because she. In verse 8, Hagar responds. But verse 9, I'm sorry, you're right. Verse 8, verse 8. Verse 8. And the angel said, in verse, no, verse 9, it's verse 9, I'm right. Verse 9. The angel said to her, go back to your mistress and be oppressed by her. That's verse number 9. And there's no response. Verse number 10, the angel's still talking, but the verse begins once again, that's verse number 10. They get to verse 11. Verse 11, scroll down to verse 11, right? 
You have three consecutive verses where this angel is speaking. Nobody speaks in between. And each of the verses begins with So one way to understand that is that the angel is telling Hagar to go back to Sarah. Yes, be abused by her. But go back and be abused and Hagar doesn't respond. The silence is non-compliance. She ignores it. So the angel makes another statement. The hope was that Hagar would say, listen, if the angel of God tells me to go back, I'm going back. That's not what happens. So therefore, the angel makes another statement, which is, Harbar bad Sarech. You know something? You're going to have a great, a great big family. Sweeten the pot. But no, but no. But Hagar doesn't respond. In the third verse, the angel says, you're going to have this child. And this child will be your child. You'll name the child. This child will be yours. God has heard your suffering. God has heard your, understands, paid heed to your suffering. And then, and then Hagar goes back. In other words, that's a good, a good example of where it's the same speaker. That's why the Medra says the three different angels, by the way, is bothered by this problem. It's the same person speaking. Why? So that's one example of this. There are many examples in the, in the, in the, the question is, are there other possible explanations as well? And yet, probably yes, but this is an explanation which covers a lot of, we'll give you one other example. Um, story of B'nai God and B'nai Ruvain. They go to Moshe, they have a lot of cattle. They don't want to, they don't want to cross over to the Jordan. They happen to stay on the other side of the Jordan. So they go to Moshe and they say, you know something, all these cities that we captured on the other side of the Jordan, on this side of the Jordan, their side of the Jordan, is very good for cattle, and we have cattle. Chapter 32 of Bamidbar. They don't ask, make, they, don't, they don't make a request, they make a statement of fact. Good land for cattle, we have cattle. Moshe says nothing, in Bamidbar. You're, you're in Devarim, Bamidbar. So the next verse is, in the next verse, they say, listen, don't bring us across, let us stay here. Chapter 32 of, of Bamidbar, you see, because they were hoping they wouldn't have to ask. There's a B'nai Rab, you see? They go to Moshe. Look, you scroll down to the next verse. Say, that's what they say. Look, all these cities, Atarot, Tibon, all this land is good, it's good land for Mekineh. It's good land for cattle. And we have cattle. And the next verse is Vayomru. They said, please don't bring us across. They were hoping they wouldn't have to ask. We've all been in these situations, you know? You want something from somebody, but you don't want to ask them. So you hope you can hint at it and they'll say, oh, you know, so I have a good idea. You know, that's what they're hoping. Oh, you have cattle. This is good for cattle. So why don't you just stay here? Just stay where you stay on this side. But Moshe says nothing. So they're forced to make the request. He forces them to make the request. And when they make the request, he goes completely ballistic. He accuses them of all kinds of terrible things. Now that's what you have. I think I bring this in because I believe that the story of our story of Paro and Yosef is exactly the same. Joseph thinks it's all set up. You know, I go to Paro. You know, remember when he told the brothers, I'm, 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 I'm Paro's father figure. I'm an Avla Paro. I'm so important. And he is important to Paro. But he's not, he's not the father figure to Paro. It's all set up, but it's not set up. Fine. So now we have Paro's response, which is very interesting response. Vayome Paro el Yosef Weimar. Paro said to Joseph, not to the brothers, your father and brothers have come to you. 
Now you can read this in two different ways. You can read it as Joseph said, I, oh, I see they've come to you. And the next verse, Eretz Mitzrayim, with Metava Eretz, land of Egypt is yours, it's open to you. In the best of land, you can place your brethren and your father. Yesh will be Eretz Goshen. Let them stay in the land of Goshen. And if you happen to know that these are people of great ability, you can put them in charge of my livestock, of my mikne, because they're anshe mikne. So you can read it that way, kind of in a kind of innocent way, but I don't read it that way. I read it very, very differently. Here's how I read it. And Paro said to Joseph, not to the brothers, not turns to Joseph, he says, hey, they came to you. They didn't come to me, they came to you. And we remember that when we remember that when after Joseph said to the brothers, I am Joseph, get my father, that Paro had said at that point earlier, Paro said, listen, the land of Egypt is open to you. Tell them not to bring all of their stuff. Don't bother bringing your goods down. Because you know, he doesn't want them to come. Joseph wants them to come with all this stuff. Because stuff is important. Stuff is not just, stuff is who you are. And, and basically, Paro had said, tell them not to bring all the stuff. The land of Egypt is that they let them stay in the land of Egypt. And it strikes me that what Paro is saying is, I don't want them coming down. So you, you have your little, your little group with you, Joseph. They're coming to Mitzrayim, they're coming to my land, and let them, let them assimilate into Mitzrayim. But Yaakov doesn't want to assimilate into Mitzrayim. And Joseph is going along with, and Joseph wants to help them, protect them, etc. So Paro says to Joseph, here's how I read it. Oh, actually, they came to you. They didn't come to me, they came to you. Okay, that's totally fine. You want to put them in the land of Goshen? Let them stay in the land of Goshen, put them there. And then he adds, but if you know, and they are people of ability, you can put them in charge of my livestock. And that's a statement that has a, as we say, has a, it's okay, it's, it has a, there's, there's a critique here. And, and what do you mean his livestock? What he's saying is this, listen, I'm doing you a favor. I'm not happy with it. I don't want you establishing a little fiefdom. So I'll tell you what, you can do it. But if you know they have some ability, put them in charge of my livestock. And this is hardly an innocent statement because in the, in the, later in this chapter, we remember what happens. What do you mean his livestock? We didn't know Paro has Mekinah, but it turns out that by the end of the chapter, Paro has all the, all the livestock. Because in this chapter later on, we'll get to it this week, the people come to Joseph and they, Joseph's selling the food. And after a year, it says they have no money. So the people go to Joseph and say, we have no, we ha we have no money. What are we gonna do? And Joseph says, and give your cattle, give your livestock. And the livestock is given to Paro. So in short order, it turns out in this very chapter that Paro, has a lot of livestock. In fact, he has all the livestock, except for what the brothers bring down. So maybe what Paro was saying to Joseph is, by the way, I like livestock, Joe. 
I'm sure you'll figure out a way to 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 and to to make sure they have a lot of livestock. And then you know what? These fellows you brought down, you can put them to work for me as well. They have some ability. That's how I see it over here. My point is, this is actually the beginning of the break between Paro and Joseph. Because yes, Paro, Paro loves Joseph because Joseph does what Paro wants. He gives Paro all the money, or give him all the livestock, or give him all the land. So as long as Joseph is doing what Paro wants, totally fine. But the moment that Yosef seems to be doing something that Yosef wants, putting the Ivrim into the land of Mitzrayim, now we know that there is within Mitzrayim a kind of antipathy to the stranger, that we do know. We know from Mrs. Potiphar, who said to the people in the house, look, look, look what my husband did. He brought somebody to mock us, Ish Ivri Litzachek Banu. So we know that in general, there is antipathy towards the stranger. And we know that Paro had made an attempt actually, a wise attempt, I think, to somehow turn Joseph into an Egyptian, both by giving him the chariot, a different name, different clothing, and by marrying Joseph into the priestly family of Egypt. That was Paro's attempt to make Joseph palatable to the people. He gives him that chariot. So there is, attention over here and to the degree that Yosef wants to be not just an Egyptian but to be a Jew there's going to be more problems and here I think is a here's a point in the Chumash where I think there's real there's real friction between Paro on one hand and Yosef on the other he makes them ask he doesn't he, doesn't, he says no oh you're your shepherds that's very interesting and he makes them he makes them request Oh, request. He ignores them. Joseph, okay, I see they came to you. I'll do it, but you owe me. And don't forget, and I expect, I expect payment in full, which he will get. Okay, now we're going to continue. Let's just stop here for a moment. If there are any comments or questions, and then we will continue with the next piece. We have two comments in the chat. Uh, never um, was noting when we were talking about the consecutive Sukkim with Viomer. Um, that the uh, the English quotes them with with continuous quotations. It doesn't end the the quotation marks. Um, and then Reva says, if they don't bring their stuff with them, they're more dependent on Pharaoh. Totally, that's my point. Exactly the point. He doesn't want them to bring their stuff. He wants them to he wants them to assimilate them into Mitzrayim and not to have their own identity. The the, the question here, which is a very central question. It's a central question in this book, and it's a central question in, 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 in the next book, obviously. To what extent will Jacob's family have, be able to maintain their own identity? In point of fact, I mentioned this last week, the fact of the matter is that it, the famine is over. Famine ends seven years, within seven years, there's no more famine. And Jacob's in Israel, in Egypt for 17 years. So the question is, what happened those last, uh, those last 12 years? There were only five years left of the famine. What happened to the brothers? Why didn't they leave? There's no more famine. Why didn't they go back? In point of fact, they don't go back. And the word that's used in the Chumash is the word achuza. They're given achuza. Achuza is a, a, a piece of land that you are deeply connected to. We know Yaakov doesn't go back 
perhaps because God had said to Yaakov, Joseph will be there when you die. That for whatever reason, that's God's plan. But the question is the brothers. What are the brothers thinking? That, that's a very important question. And we know ultimately they, they don't leave. And then at some point they can't leave. But could they have left earlier? That's the question. Because they, they, they say to Paro, we're only here temporarily. We're here only because there's a famine. We have no intention of staying beyond that. That's what they're saying to Paro. They're saying to Paro, listen, do us a favor. Let us stay, wait, let us stay on a temporary basis because there's a famine in the land of Canaan. And once the famine is cleared up, which will be in a few years, so then we, we plan to leave. That was their initial plan. But it doesn't work out that way. Could be that their initial intention was just to be, would be, to be gayrim, to be strangers, right? Actually, in the Passover Haggadah, you have it. If you remember in the Pesach Haggadah, so the, the Baal Haggadah has a slightly different take, but similar, because Vayagar, the, the, the verse that's cited in the Haggadah, Vayagar Sham, Bimteimad, Vayagar Sham, Mulamit Shalom Yorad Yaakov Avinu Lishtakeh B'Mitzrayim El Lagosham. And they cite this verse. Now the Haggadah conflates Jacob with, the, with, with his children, but the Haggadah makes the point that they came to be to be gear, to be a gear, the stranger, to be a to be a temporary resident, not to assimilate. That wasn't Jacob's intention. It wasn't the initial intention. But it doesn't work out that way. And the question is why not? Is it the uh, is it the wealth of Mitzrayim? Is that it's difficult to leave afterwards? Is it the is it the culture that the brothers buy into the culture? Jacob doesn't, but maybe his children do. That's a question that we have to deal with. And it's not just a question for the book of Breshit, it's a question for the book of Shemot as well. Okay, now let's continue. Now we have another very interesting, that, okay, let's, let's continue. So now we have the following, let's, next verse, let's see. Verse number, yes, verse number seven. By Yaakov Aviv, this is a very strange little vignette. Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and stood him up before Paro. And Yaakov, here they translate greeted Paro, but the Hebrew says, doesn't say greeted, it says blessed. In the book of Breshit, you don't, treat, you don't translate as greeting. The book of Breshit's all about blessings from beginning to end. And Yaakov in Mitzrayim is going to bless Joseph, bless Joseph's children, bless all of his 12 sons. And over here, prior to that, he's blessing Paro. So Joseph stands up, stands up, brings in and stands Yaakov before Paro. Here's my question. Just to, to picture this scene. So who's in the room? I mean, in the first instance, Paolo said, remember the first case, Paolo says to Joseph, your brothers have come to you. I'm not sure Joseph's in the room there. Yeah, it's not clear. But in any event, Paolo responds to Yosef. How about over here? Ya Yosef brings Yaakov and stands him before Paolo. So what happened? He brought Yaakov into the room and Yosef left the room? Or is Joseph standing in the room as well? That's a question. I can't tell from the verse. I don't know. It's interesting, by the way, and this is, an, I came across this recently, <clears throat> that generally speaking in the Bible in general, with rare exceptions, 
conversations are always between two people. Curious, even there are many people in the room, conversations, the A speaks to B, then A speaks to C, then maybe B speaks to C, but there's almost never conversations amongst three for whatever reason. That is true in, in general in the, in the, in the but here I don't know, it's, so, so we don't know. So he's standing up, he blesses Paro. God should bless you. We, we would understand why Paro is, has been good to the Jews, has been good to Joseph. What, what, yes, we anticipate problems and there's reason to anticipate problems, but at the end of the day, so far, in point of fact, he got Joseph out of jail. He gave him a position of enormous power. He has agreed to let Joseph's family stay with Joseph in the, in the land of nearness, in the land of Goshen. You have to say thank you. So Yaakov blesses power. And now we have the strangest thing. And Paro said to Yaakov, how old are you? It's a strange thing. The Chumash in general doesn't deal with trivialities, you know? But the Ramban is bothered by this. Wait how old are you? So the Ramban says the following. The Ramban says, because Yaakov looked extremely old. So Paro was struck by this. He'd never seen someone so old. So he says, how, how old are you? I've never seen anything like this. It's, a, you're, 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 it's astonishing. How many are the years of your life? You know, sometimes walking in the street and you pass someone in the street, you say, oh, how are you? You know what I mean? We say, how are you? Usually, I'll speak for myself. You know, it's a, you, you, you say, hi, how are you doing? Something. You don't really ask me how they're doing. <laughs> what you're really saying is, oh, I see you. I, I'm glad to I actually recognize you. Yes, I nod to you. I'm giving you some recognition. You recognize me. But when we ask a question, how are you doing? Um, I remember years ago, I was walking uh, on the street. Someone gave us, that was a terrible mood. How are you doing? I said, pretty bad. Oh, good, good. They walked on, you know? No, no one's really listening. So this is like, how old are you? You know, like when, when you meet sometimes, you meet people. I remember in the old days, sometimes, you know, before I was married, you go on a date, you realize you don't have to talk about, you know? So you have certain questions you're going to ask, which, you know, no, no real meaning. So you just talk, it's just talk. So this is one of the, yeah, how old are you? But whatever. So, and now Yaakov gets the following answer. <laughs> so this innocent question, how old are you, by the way? Bayoma Yaakov Paro. The years of my sojourn on earth are 130. The years of my life have been few and bad. And not only that, and nor do they come up to the lifespan of my ancestors during their sojourning. So you read this verse and you say to yourself, what? I mean, what is this actually about? And first of all, I think it's actually a very interesting statement in terms of looking back at Yaakov's life. Uh, Yaakov looked back at his own life. And in, fact, in point of fact, when you look at Yaakov's life, there's something about this book which is quite amazing, which is we read the book of Breshit, and it's about essentially a covenantal promise. 
which is passed down from one generation to the next. And the difficulty of passing down that promise. Abraham is given a, this covenantal promise, covenantal relationship. He's got to pass it down to one of his children. Who's it going to be? Is it, he has no children. Then he has, is it going to be Lot? Is it going to be Ishmael? Eliezer of Damascus, Yitzchak, the whole difficulty. And the next generation, okay, so it's Yitzchak. And then the next generation, Yaakov and Esau, and all of the conflict and all of the tension. And at the end of the day, it's Yaakov who gets the covenantal blessing. And Esau is very angry, very upset. He took my blessing, etc. And now you think about Yaakov's life. Esau is non-covenantal, and Yaakov is covenantal. So Esau actually walks around with 400, 400 men, maybe they're soldiers. He owns a country, Esau, Edom. Doesn't own a piece of property. He owns a country. He has unlimited power, unlimited wealth. He's the poor guy we feel sorry for in the book. But the one who has the covenantal blessing is Yaakov. Now let's think about Yaakov's life. So he's forced to run away from home at a, sounds like a young age. His mother loves him dearly. Appears he never really sees her again. He must have died when he's away in Haran, but that's not even recorded, nor do they meet, nor does she ever send for him. He works for his father-in-law, who's a flat-out crook, mistreats him, takes advantage of him. Uh, the way the family set up, the woman that he loves, he can't marry right away. He's given her sister enormous conflict. The woman that he loves dies young, comes back to the land. He has to meet his brother who potentially would kill him. And he has to wrestle and struggle with this mysterious being, meets his brother. Next chapter, his daughter is raped and he has enormous antagonism towards this antagonism with Shimon and Levi. Then his son Ruven sleeps with one of his wives. Then his beloved son Joseph at a young age is sold, is sold away. And for most of Jacob's life, Joseph's life is separated. I will go down to the grave mourning. And he ends up in the land of Egypt where he doesn't want to be and where he will die. This is the life of the hero of this book. So when Yaakov says, from an objective standpoint, that is true. You look at this man's life, look back on it. Stuff and every bad thing that can happen to somebody happens to him. All the relationships, his brother, his mother, his wife, beloved children, all the conflict, all the problems, and you end up being in a place you don't want to be in the first place. Get me out of here, says Yaakov. I don't want to die here. I want to be buried here. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand is very important, Yaakov accepts this. Yaakov accepts it. Yaakov says, Hineni. When God says, go down to Egypt, and we talked about this, Yaakov says, Hineni. Because he sees it as covenantal. He sees the Geirut and the Avdut and the Inui, and he accepts it, actually. It's amazing. He accepts it knowing that he sets up the covenant for the future, for his children and for all his generations that will follow. But here, in talking to this, I would say, relative stranger, someone's outside his orbit, he tells, he, he says something which is actually from an objective standpoint true. And what I wonder about is the following. Here's what I wonder. Who is he actually talking to? That's what I mentioned before, because who's in the room? 
because the Chumash says that Yosef brings Yaakov and stands him up before Paro. So where is Joseph when this is going on? Is Yosef standing next to Yaakov? Or is Yosef left the room? I always wondered about this for many years because I'm wondering who Yaakov really is talking to. Because a lot of this, if we ask Yaakov, what is the great tragedy of your life? I mean, there are many. But I would say that the story of Yosef has to rank very high. As Yaakov says, now I can die. I've seen you, Joseph. He's been mourning all of these years. And in point of fact, Yosef, Yosef has, he loves his father, but he named his first son Menashe, which means forgetfulness. I want to forget my father's house and my suffering. I want to forget the father's house and the suffering. And there's no expression on Yosef's part that he wants to reunite with his father. So I've always wondered about, is this simply a statement to Paro in which the Chumash is telling us, the readers, to remember what this covenant consists of and the, the price you pay for entering into the covenant. Um, or is it actually Yaakov talking to Yosef and saying, listen, Yosef, I've had a difficult life and maybe there's a critique and a lot of it has to do with you. It has to do with you and, and maybe I see you now in Mitzrayim. It doesn't make me happy either. That's also possible. Now there's something else about this verse and then I'll stop and take comments or questions, which is that Yaakov's response is curious. First of all, one can ask the question, he says, the years of my sojourning are 130. Then he says, so he talks about and then he talks about, so what is this business of and secondly, what do you mean, nor do they come up to the lifespan of my ancestors? How does he know that? He's still, he's still alive. Yaakov lives in Egypt for many years, 17 more years. So what do you mean that maybe you live longer than they? Well, what, what does that mean? It's not, I haven't lived as long as they have. They've lived, but, they, but they, they, they're gone, but you're not. What is that about? So I just want to make one suggestion over here. What he's saying is, he distinguishes from Yimei Chayai. Yimei Megurai are the years of, of their sojournings. The, the, the years of their sojournings are the years they lived inside the land. Yisroch never leaves the land. And Avram leaves the land briefly. But Yaakov says, the, the years of my sojourning maximally are 130. Because he's not going back to the land of Canaan. He understands he's, this is, it's over. So as if to say to Paro, I'm not sure Paro understands this, but we understand it, that the years I distinguish between the years that I, I live in the land of Canaan, in God's land, and the years I live in Mitzrayim. What Yaakov is really saying is, it's coded, but what he's really saying is, my life is over in a certain sense, in the sense that being in Mitzrayim is not where I want to live. I'm, that's not living as far as I'm concerned. Yes, I agree to go down. Yes, I have a mission. That's for sure. But you may be 130, and that's, that's it. You can live another 500 years. But living in Mitzrayim, 500, that, those years don't count. 
what counts are Yemeshne Megurai, and that's 130. I've left Canaan, I'm never returning there in my lifetime. So this is a Yaakov's way of, without power fully getting it. Maybe Yosef is standing in the room and does get it, but we understand what he's saying. That for Yaakov, Mitzrayim is a necessary evil, and we have to figure a way to leave Mitzrayim. Again, Yaakov blessed Paro. So it's framed. The speech to Paro was framed with the blessing. But in between the, the first verse, he blessed Paro, and the next last verse, he blessed Paro, we have that intermediate statement in which Yaakov can reflect upon his life. It gives us the opportunity, I think, to also reflect upon Yaakov's life and to reflect upon the price you pay for entering into this covenant. It's not a covenant that most people would readily welcome. Gerut Avdut and Inuit. And Yaakov knows what that is. He experienced it in the house of Lavan, and Israel will experience it again in the very first chapter of uh, Sefer Shemot. Let me stop here for a moment and take comments or questions. Then we have a few minutes left. Um, Yael, I see you with your hand up. Feel free to unmute yourself. No. Are there any more que any questions here? Um, I think Yael has a question, but she's just going to unmute herself. Yael, I'm I've got I've just clicked ask to unmute. So you should have a little box that says, "Do you want to unmute yourself?" Uh, there we go. Uh, it strikes me that because this these two verses that you just uh, talked about are so short. Yaakov talked, said, you know, and all that, and then he leaves. I mean, it wasn't an opening for a conversation. And it just strikes me, maybe it's a kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, the, way, the way things were done, the way a kind of formal uh, introduction between Paro and yeah, cool. Possible, but, but, but here's, here's my point. Do you Why understand when I'm, am, am yes. I clear? That yes. Paro um, didn't mean to investigate his life and begin a conversation. No, I, I, I agree with you. I, that was my point. It was, it's a very, it was a very yeah. innocent statement. Now, how old are you? How are you doing? Where do you live? Uh, you know, like those kinds of questions, you know, yeah. where do you go to school? I mean, those kinds of questions. It's just a way <laughs> yeah. to make talk. Right. But, 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 what's, but, but on the contrary, that makes it even more shocking what, Yo what Yaakov says. Because I'm, 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 I'm 130. No, he goes into this other about I've had a terrible life. But that's what's so shocking over here. He sees yeah. as an opportunity. Power, it's not an answer that sure power expected to hear. But, but it's, he's making a statement. It's an opportunity for him to make a statement in a kind of, in his, in, he's not making it too, directly to, to any of his children, although Yosef may be in the room and hears this. But it's the, the the question is why does the Chumash include it all together? Is okay. He met Paro. Well, why is it important to tell us this? It's only important to tell us this. Uh, well, for two reasons. One is that he's he's grateful to what Paro has done so far, and you have to be grateful. But the other point is, it's here. I think Dafka for that for, the, for, for that statement of Yaakov, the Chumash wants us to hear what Yaakov Yaakov's looking back in his own life, and. And what he makes of it, and and the Sorry. point is, 
that that what he says is all true. It's not. It's not. It's it's a it's a statement of one might say a statement of fact. He's had a very 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 difficult life from every every standpoint. Yeah. Rabbi Sil, yes, may just maybe saying. Let me tell you about us Jews. You might not know enough about it. You know, so to speak, we have hardship. We have tzarot. So why does he have to tell? Well, why is he telling Paro? That's the question. What, who cares about Paro? This that you know, he's telling us. It's that it's not. The Chumash doesn't care what he tells Paro. The the, the 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 narrative of the Chumash, the narrator is speaking to us, having three Yaakov speaking to us and reminding us about the, the nature of this covenant. It's a covenant that, as I said many times, most people would say no thank you. Hover says no thank you. Go back to your mistress and vihitani and accept the Inui. There's no answer. Because what she's saying is, very nice. I'm not into that. That's not for me. I'll sweeten the pot. I'm not into that. Interested. Go back. There won't be any more Inui. Shema Hashem Okay. And she goes back. So the, the, uh, most people, I think, would say, it's not for me. You suffer your whole life, and you don't even see the, 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 the benefits. The benefits go to the next generation. That's the point of it. It's, uh, the opposite. It's, it's so irrelevant, actually. Why mention it altogether? Who cares about Paro? No. It's not about Paro. It's a, the Chumash's way of talking to us. That's the point. And reminding yeah, us Rabbi, of an important truth. Rabbi Silver, it's about two colliding worlds. That's the whole thing. He is telling him, you might not have known much about us, but we, we suffer. We have this. This is our but lives. Why would, but, 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 but what does he care if power knows that or not? Irrelevant. Because Yosef had hidden that part of himself. I'm just saying. Yeah. And I understand, but it, we don't really care what power thinks. We may care what Yosef thinks. That's why I mentioned Yosef being in the room. Maybe he's talking to Yosef. That's an important point. He's 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 going to be he's come down to Egypt basically to teach Yosef. That's a, that's the real reason, as we'll see. And Yosef turns out to be a very good pupil. Okay, let me let me just Actually, some more time. I there. just want to point out. I'm sorry, I I wasn't uh, I didn't finish. Here he's Yaakov and not Israel. And I wonder if there's any significance when he's called in the text Israel and when he's called Yaakov. Well, there certainly is significance to it. He tends to be called Israel at moments of great significance. Like when yes, he's, and here he's Yaakov. You know. Here is Yaakov. he's Yaakov. His, the statement to Paro is not important per se to Paro. It's an, it's an opportunity for the Chumash to remind us about the nature of what Yaakov has endured and is willing to endure. He's, he actually accepted it. He said he named it. He, he accepts it. He understands what it is and he accepts it. He accepts it because he knows what it is, because he already, he already endured the gay with Abdut and Inu once in the house of Rabba, and it's going to happen again. He knows that. But he's willing to pay that price. Whether other people understand it or not, the people in his family, that's a good question. I think ultimately they come, those things, they come with all this, all this flocks, you know, all these animals. I mean, they're not poor. No, they're not poor. They're the victims but they, of a certain but they don't leave, you see, that point is they stay there. That's, yeah. that's the point. All right, let's, let's is continue. It, uh, is it possible yeah. to see this as a dance of power between, between uh, Jacob and uh, Paro? Uh, Paro doesn't like it when somebody else has power. So uh, Jacob has learned the lesson uh, from his time with Lavan uh, that he has the power to bless. Uh, so he says, oh, I'm very, very, very poor. 
but he blesses Paro. Paro doesn't realize that that's the real blessing. That's the real power that Jacob has. Not the longevity and the and the and the good life. Right. My my question is actually, see, I, I just have a hard time thinking that it matters what Paro thinks. Uh, Paro is not Paro's important in the sense of he's a challenge for us in terms of our own identity. But I I, I don't think it's about. Um, I mean, it's true. In other words, of course, Paro has the, all the power. Of course, that's the case. That's certainly true. And that, from the standpoint of the Chumash, that doesn't seem to make much difference. That's not what the Chumash is about. Chumash is about these deep connections to, to God, basically. That's what the Chumash is really about. And what, what it takes or what the, the price that one must be willing to pay to maintain that, that connection. I mean, one can question whether, you know, but this, this is the chumash that we have, basically. You know, chumash that we have is about Gavud Avdut and Inui. I didn't write it; I just try to understand it. But that—that's in point of fact. That's what it's saying. That this, this the covenant comes with uh, a very heavy price, and comes with a heavy price because it, in, it just entering entering into it is very demanding, and it comes with a heavy price because if you violate the trust, God sees it as a betrayal, and then you have all kinds of other problems. If you betray God, so to break it, there's a deep relationship, and when it goes bad, it can be very, very acrimonious. Whereas if you're just sort of a stranger, you have a lukewarm relationship, it's not the same thing. You walk away, okay? So let's let's um. We have a few comments in the chat. If we have time, yeah. Well, we have a few minutes, right? Yeah. Okay. Noah says longevity is important in power structures, particularly ancient ones. To find out that a possible usurper comes from a bizarrely long-lived line and one where people live long in spite of tremendous suffering. That is a threat. We can wait out whatever the, the Egyptians can't. Um, and then Never says the human, uh, the Chumash doesn't generally, doesn't usually tell us that X was thinking, etc., etc. So perhaps this is a literary device so that we will connect to what Yaakov is really thinking about. Right, so I, I think the, the first point about longevity that will be that may be the case. It turns out I was doing some reading about this. That in Egypt, uh, now again I can't verify this to be true, but you know we talk about living to 120. The Chumash mentions 120. In Egypt, the number was 110. Joseph lives to 110, um, so it could well be that Paro was amazed over he sees this person, never seen this before, and that suggests some kind of some kind of special grace or whatever. And then Yaakov says, "Listen." Grace, no grace. I've, I've suffered my whole life. That, 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 that's, that, that's, that could be that for sure. Well, what was the second point? Uh, the second point um, was that the so-and-so is was thinking, etc., etc., is not used so much in Chumash, so it could be a literary device so that we will connect to what Yaakov is really thinking about. I think that's for sure, but I mean, it's more than what he's thinking about. I, that, the, my, my point over here, and what we'll put the word emphasize is that is the Chumash is allowing us, enabling us to reflect back on, on Yaakov's life in its totality. And what he says over here is, he gives a description. He's like, I don't see it as a complaint even. He's saying, he's saying a fact. I mean, look at my, if you look at my life, this was a life of, of many, many, you know, painful 
situations. Well, his, his favorite child and his, and his favorite wife. <laughs> he loses them both, basically. Uh, then they have the business with the brother and his mother, and you name it. And he's ripped off by Lava, and he works for a guy who cheats him, and and the acrimony within the family and all that. So it's it's all true. And we're coming to the end of the book, and I think the Chumash wants us to understand that there's a price you pay for this particular covenant. Yaakov is willing to pay it, but 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 the price is an enormous price. Let me let me Robert just. Uh, yes, Robert Taylor. Uh, yes, isn't it characteristic of Yaakov? Uh, to belittle himself. He says it so many times, Kotanti, and uh, he, when he's about to meet his brother Esau, he uh, tries to get biased. And here he's in the face of power, and uh, he wants to make himself as little as possible. That may be true. I mean, but, but the, the larger question I have here, the, the Chumash doesn't just, the Chumash is not a history book. The Chumash tells us very little. So whenever we have a story like this in the Chumash, it strikes me that we ask the question, why is it here in the first place? If we weren't here, we wouldn't miss it. You know what I mean? He brings mm -hmm. in the West Paro. But I, I, the, my point is that it's here, I think, to, uh, to give us a, another way of reading the life of Yaakov, which is true, a true way to read it. And of course, it's easy to forget that, you know, that the great hero he probably is the main hero of the, he is Israel. But, you know, if you look at the, at the, at the life of Yaakov, this covenantal person, and the, what the Chumash is suggesting, I think, whether we like it or not, I think is that maybe this is true of, of the covenant with God. The covenant with God involves uh, many, many painful, many, many painful episodes. And the question is, how do you deal, how do you deal with the pain? Uh, Yaakov doesn't lose his resolve to move forward. Yaakov doesn't lose his resolve to, to go to Egypt. I mean, he, he does go to Egypt and he has a mission too. But um, on the other hand, it's done, he, he's, he has, his eyes are wide open. He's, he's not, he doesn't have any illusions about his life. That was, that was my point. Okay, I guess we'll have to stop at this point. So we're gonna, next week, gonna look at Yosef and how he deals with the Egypt and the, the economic business. And after that, we'll be moving into uh, really what critical stories at the end of the book, Menashe and Ephraim, and then Yaakov blessing his children. Uh, okay, so we'll stop here. If anybody has any other questions, they can email me at dsilber at risha.org. Um, looking forward to continuing. Thank you so much, Rabbi Silver, and thank you so much to everyone who is here listening, asking amazing questions, amazing comments. Um, I just want to remind you that the Drisha Summer Kollel application has its deadline this week. So make sure you get your application in very soon. Um, we have a bunch more classes, lectures, private Talmud Shirim, and much more available in this uh, Sphira Zman at Drisha. You can find out more about all of those classes and register for them at drisha.org. So see you next week. Thank you.